It is indeed a joy and a blessing to be here today. Uh, Aaron and I have missed being with our, our spiritual family over, over uh, travel and, and sickness, but I'm very thankful for, for the spiritual family that God has given us here and the time that we have uh, to join together in praising our Father and studying from his word. We've had a lot going on uh, in the congregation over here over the last couple of years. Um, you know, going, going through COVID, trying to wade through, dealing with all of that, uh, transition in our meeting place, uh, moving to this new building, uh, a lot of new members, a lot of internal needs, uh, and a lot of different struggles, challenges, changes that we've each experienced in our own personal lives over the last couple of years. But as things get busy and our lives get filled up with so many different competing priorities, it's easy for us to lose our focus. It's easy for us to take our eyes off the primary mission and the primary goal for which Jesus established his church. Brethren, the reason the sun rose this morning is because God still desires lost souls to be saved. The reason the world is still turning it's because God is seeking lost souls. And so the great commission that Jesus has given us as his disciples, the primary directive of the church is to go out and to share the gospel, to make disciples, followers of Jesus, kingdom citizens, souls transformed uh, and cleansed by the power of God's grace. We can't truly call ourselves disciples if we aren't seeking to make disciples. We can't say we've truly received the gospel unless we're seeking to share the gospel. And so I wanna encourage us today to refocus our efforts on the primary mission, to stir up our evangelistic zeal, to stop making excuses, and to get busy spreading the gospel to the community around us. There, there is certainly a place to take time to focus on internal needs. And we continue to need to do that. We need to care about the souls of this flock and spend time and effort there. Um, but at some point, we have to do more than just oil and tinker with this machine. <laughs> we have to get it back out on the road. And we need to make sure that we recognize that, that equipping the saints is not simply an end within itself. It is a means towards an end of getting out and shining our lights, of sowing the seed of the gospel. We do have some specific evangelistic efforts that, that we want to talk about as a congregation. Uh, but before we get into any of that, I, I want to take some time today to try to develop a biblical picture of evangelism to solidify in our minds what a biblical approach to the work of evangelism should look like. And we aren't going to have time to discuss every illustration that the scripture uses, but I do want to focus on three in particular pictures of evangelism that we see in some cases multiple times in the scriptures. And that is fishing for men, sowing the seed, and shining our lights. What do we learn about our mindset, about our role in the work of evangelism through these biblical pictures? And I don't primarily want to focus on what makes these pictures different or unique today. I really want to focus on what makes all three of these pictures the same, 
some common themes and lessons that we learn from these biblical illustrations. Most foundationally, I think one thing that we're intended to see from these illustrations is that we must trust in God's power and not our own. Uh, Think about this passage that Jared just read for us here in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus tells his disciples he's going to make them fishers of men. What context does he tell them that in? Well, they had just had a great catch of fish, so much so that they filled two boats and even those two boats are sinking. Where, Where did that catch come from? Well, look again with me in Luke chapter 5, and let's start reading in verse 4. Luke chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Do you see a contrast there in that story between what the skill of these fishermen produced and what the power of Jesus produced? Peter initially tells Jesus, well, I know you want us to put out the nets, but we did labor all night and we we caught nothing. Um, But because you're saying it, I'll do it. You know, this is Peter's occupation. And they had spent hours upon hours through the night trying to catch fish, right? Uh, In fact, that that would have generally been the the peak time, uh, from what I understand, of of fishing in the night. It would have been best for them to fish in the shallow water. Jesus tells them, put out into the deep in the middle of the day. And here, with one cast of the net, they bring in so many fish that they can't even handle it all. Where did that come from? It wasn't their skill as fishermen. It wasn't their their knowledge of the craft of fishing. It wasn't their ingenuity. It was the power of Jesus. And so, brethren, as we think about being fishers of men in evangelism, Jesus doesn't need our skill. Jesus doesn't need our knowledge, our ingenuity. He doesn't need our marketing tactics or charismatic personalities. It's not about us. It's not our strength and power or wisdom. It's all about him, about his power unto salvation. In fact, the the very illustration of fishing, uh, fishing requires faith, right? Uh, In most situations when you're fishing, you can't see where the fish are. You look out into the water and you have to trust that there are fish out there. You throw out your net not knowing where they are, but trusting that In time, you'll bring them in. Well, in our case, we aren't just trusting that they're out there. We're trusting in Jesus' power to bring them in, right? And so we need, first and foremost in evangelism, to look to God's power and his strength. And the same thing with the illustration of the sower. The power is in the seed, not in the sower. Um. It's not the skill of the sower. It's not his status as a green thumb that that brings about this growth. In fact, when you look at Jesus' parable, uh, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, you know, perhaps if Jesus had used a more traditional picture of farming, 
we might think that it had something to do with us, right? If, if we saw the sower going out and pl- plowing and tilling and weeding and fertilizing and irrigating, but that's not what we see at all. All that we see in Jesus' parable is he goes out and he scatters seed and he scatters it everywhere on all different types of soil. Where is the power? It's not in his skill. It's not in his ability as a farmer. The power is in the seed. And we see Paul make this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. It tells the church in Corinth, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Brethren, our job in evangelism is simply to bring the seed and the water in contact with the soil. That's not the work of a highly trained professional. That's the, train, that, that's the work of a simple servant. God gives the growth. It is his power. He deserves the credit and he deserves the glory. You know, the, the parable of the sower is really focused more on the soils. It's focused more on the hearts. And that's the point, primary point that we're supposed to get from that parable. It, it, it really kind of... Um, ignores to some extent the, the work of the sower. But there's another parable that Jesus tells in Mark chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there. In Mark's gospel, this parable is recorded very shortly after the parable of the, the sower. Mark chapter 4, starting verse 26. And this does focus a little bit more directly on the, the role of the sower or the farmer. Mark chapter 4 and verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Here, we're, we're not really focused on the soil, on the hearts, like we are in the parable of the sower. We're focused on, the, on the, what happens with the seed uh, and really the, the role of the farmer. And how does it describe it here? <laughs> describes the growth happening in large part while the farmer is sleeping, while he's not doing anything to it. It it grows, he knows not how. It's outside of his awareness, outside of his knowledge, outside of his control that that seed is growing. But that's a picture of of evangelism. That's a a picture of sowing the seed of the kingdom. And so the, the point here is that it's not about us. We don't produce that growth. God does. We're simply servants bringing the seed, the water in contact with the soil. And with shining our lights, we need to recognize that the light that we shine is ultimately the light of his glory, not our own. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Remember, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why is it that people would see our good works 
and give glory to our Father who is in heaven? Well, because it's not our goodness. It's not our light. It's, it's not our glory. It's the Lord's working through us and shining through us. If we're going to be effective in drawing people towards the light, we need to recognize that that doesn't come from us. It comes from the Lord. It's his goodness and his glory. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, Jesus tells us, uh, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The light that we shine is not our own. It never was and it never will be. God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the excellencies that we proclaim are not the excellencies of our own sanctified character. It's the excellencies of the one who sanctified us, of the one who has purified us and transformed us by his power. So brethren, as we think about our work, our mission, we need to recognize it's not about us. It's not about Grady Huggins. It's not about the East Side Church of Christ. It's not about how wonderful these people are and how much you love it here and how great the preaching is or how uplifting the worship is. It's about God and his power unto salvation. It's about Jesus and the cleansing power of his beloved, the new life that he can give through his victory over the grave. That's what we need to be pointing people towards. We certainly have a role to play in that. We need to be the fishers. We need to be the sowers. We need to be shining the light. But the role ultimately is not pointing towards us. We've only fulfilled our role when we pointed people towards him. And that gets us to the next point from these illustrations. We simply need to be conduits for the gospel. The highest goal of evangelism is to be effective tools within God's hand unobstructed channels for his power and light to flow through us. You think about Luke 5, when Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of men. What, what did Peter bring to that situation? What did he have to offer in that situation? Ultimately, Peter's faith and obedience were the most important things that he brought to the table. There was nothing that Peter did there that any other person in the crowd couldn't have done. It wasn't his status as a trained fisherman that qualified him for making that catch. It wasn't that he was especially holy or pious that qualified him for that role. In fact, Peter himself recognizes that. If you remember what uh, Jared read for us, um, Peter falls down on his knees before Jesus in verse 8. It says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, Peter, when he gets that great catch, he doesn't say, do you see what I just did? Did everybody see this? You know, somebody come take a picture of it or draw a picture of it. Uh, you know, he points towards the Lord. He recognizes, I'm unworthy of the miraculous power that has just worked through me. He recognizes that he is unfit to even stand in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of divinity. And yet it's that humility, it's that obedient faith that Jesus was looking for. That is what Jesus can use. 
when we recognize that, that we are unfit, that it is his power, it's not us. And we're willing to say like Peter did, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. It's not about what I understand, what I know, what I'm capable of doing. It's about me simply being obedient to what Jesus had told me to do. Trusting that he has the power to work through me if I humbly submit and surrender to him. God doesn't need what we have to offer, but he does need our humble submission, our obedient faith. He needs us to present ourselves before him as moldable clay, as empty vessels fully surrendered to his working in us and through us. Brethren, being effective in evangelism is not about your skill. It's not about your wisdom. It's not about your charming personality. But it is about your sincere faith and your diligent obedience to what God has called you to do. In the picture of the farmer, the sower, the farmer ultimately helps the seed most by getting out of the way, by removing obstacles from its growth. Do you remember that parable that we just read in Mark chapter 4? What, what does the farmer do? He plants the seed and then he goes to bed. And he lets the seed do its work. What, what would have happened if the farmer had, had gotten up every morning or every night and came out there and kind of dug up the seed to see how it was doing? And, and if he saw a little sprout coming out, you know, he just gave it a little tug to try to help it along. Do you think that seed would have grown? No. <laughs> no, the farmer needs to let the power of the seed do its work. He needs to get out of the way. And so as we think about how to be effective in evangelism, it's not so much about us, uh, you know, helping the gospel along. It's about us making sure that we're not hindering the gospel. It's about us letting its power work through us. The way we present the gospel the attitude we reflect, our personality and demeanor, our sincerity, the ways in which we communicate and interact with others, all needs to be consistent with the transforming power and character of the gospel itself. We need to be effective conduits for the gospel. That its transforming power, its character, its glory can flow through us. As we think about shining our lights Ultimately, the goal is that we don't distract or obstruct the true light shining through us. Look with me uh, again at Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. And I want you to ask the question as we look at this, how are we pictured here? What, what do we do to help our lights shine? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the illustration that he uses there? We, we don't put the light under a basket. We don't obstruct it. We don't get in the way. All we do is we put it up on a stand. And as we already talked about, the light isn't us, right? The light is the Lord. But we have a role to play in making sure that we're not getting in the way, that we're not hiding it, 
that we're not some way distracting from the true light shining through us. Think about it this way. What's the difference between a big picture window in your house and a stained glass window? You know, a big stained glass window may be very pretty, but it's using the light of the sun to draw attention towards itself, right? Towards its own beauty and its own glory. The big picture window lets the light flow straight through it so that you can see the beauty and the glory of God's creation, of the sun and all that it reveals outside. Which are you? Are we big picture windows letting the light shine through us? Or are we stained glass windows that are really diffusing the light, distracting from the light, drawing attention rather towards something else? Or or maybe we're just obstructing the light altogether. Look with me in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to look first at verse 9 and 10. Here, Paul is instructing different groups of people uh, and how they need to allow the gospel to work through them. He, he, in verse 9, gets down to talking about bondservants. He says in Titus 2 and verse 9, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. That, um, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What does that mean? That the way they live, their conduct may adorn, may clothe the uh, doctrine of God, our Savior. Does God's word, does the gospel kind of need some help? Is that what he's saying here? That that we need to dress it up? We need to maybe put some makeup on it to, to hide the blemishes? Is that what he's saying? Of course not. No, it doesn't need any help. We need to make sure that we're adorning it in a way that doesn't distract from its natural beauty, right? And that's the point here. We're we're to be conduits for the gospel. We're to allow the gospel to transform us the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we think, the way that we speak, so that people can see the natural beauty of the gospel through us. That's how we adorn the gospel. You see what he goes on to say? He said in verse 10, so that in every way you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Where does all that come from? It comes from the grace of God, from the redemption of Jesus Christ, from his purifying power. Our, our godliness, our self-control, um, our zeal for good works isn't about us. That's the, the natural adornment of those who are allowing the gospel to live through them. Can people see the power of the gospel living in you? Brethren, do you know what I think may be one of the number one evangelism killers in churches? 
It's insincerity. Hypocrisy. We, myself at times, uh, have been hesitant and afraid to tell other people about the gospel because we're terrified that they may find out that we're not the real deal. That we don't actually know why we believe what we believe. That we're just kind of blindly following what we've heard, our own traditions, following the dictates of our own comfort zone. And we haven't truly allowed the gospel to transform us the way that we're telling them they need the gospel to transform them. Am I afraid to evangelize because I'm afraid somebody may expose me (laughs) for what I truly am? Do you want to be an effective conduit for the light of the gospel? Then we need to let it penetrate straight through us until there isn't a shadow left in our heart or in our life that is going to get in the way of people seeing its full glory and power. That's how we become effective in evangelism. We allow the gospel to work in us and through us. If the gospel is ever going to work through us, we've got to let it work in us. And so it's not about us bringing something to the table. It's not about us bringing our skill. It's about us simply not getting in the way. And letting the power of the seed, letting the miraculous power of Jesus, letting the light of his glory and grace shine through us. But ultimately, success in that work comes by perseverance and not by precision. You know, when you think about the illustration of fishing for men, the primary skill in net fishing is about covering as much area as possible, right? When Jesus talks about fishing for men, he's not using our modern illustration of bait fishing, where we try to, you know, maybe one by one attract individual fish. No, he's using the illustration of net fishing, Um I think there is some skill involved in that, but it's about reaching as far and wide as possible, right? What kind of net do you think they would use in net fishing? Let me grab something here. I have a net here that some people might use in fishing, but really it is what you call a landing net. Uh, simply once you've caught the fish, you put it in this. How many fish do you think you could catch with this, you know, roughly one foot wide net if you went out in a boat and you kept dipping this into the water? Do you think you'd catch very many? If you want to net fish, this is the kind of net that you need. I'm not going to attempt to throw this because I would probably hit somebody. Um, And I'm not even going to be able to spread it all the way out. Because this net, if we spread it out, would fill more than this area. Uh, It's a 16-foot diameter net. And the skill involved in this is figuring out how to throw it so that it spreads as far and wide as possible. When we think about evangelism... Our goal is not to 
get the right mark and find what's going to attract them and chase them down one by one. No, the picture that we have of evangelism is to, to throw it as far and wide as possible, trusting in the power of Jesus to find the fish that are out there, right? We see the same idea with the sower. You know, the, the sower doesn't go around with one seed at a time and say, I, I need to, to find the exact right spot and I'll, I'll plant this seed and then I can pick up one more seed out of my bag and let's go find another spot. That's not the picture that we have. Here, the picture in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, he takes handfuls of seed. He's scattering the seed everywhere. And you notice he's not just scattering it on one type of soil. It's on the road, on the wayside, on the thorny soil, on the rocky soil, on the good ground. How do you think he found all that different type of soil? Do you think he just stood in one spot and just happened to be all those different types of soil around him? No, the, the, the picture that we have is of an ancient Johnny Appleseed here go, going around and throwing seeds everywhere, traveling, walking, different types of soil, wherever he goes, throwing the seed. Brethren, that's our picture of evangelism. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus tells them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do you notice what the primary verb is there? What the primary command is? Go. We need to get out and spread the seed, spread the net far and wide. We don't know where the fish are. We don't know where the good soil is, but God does. And there's only one way for us to find out, and that's by sowing the seed. Um, Isaiah 52 and verse 7, a passage that's quoted for us in the New Testament, says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Why the feet? You know, he's bringing good news. Wouldn't we say how beautiful is the mouth of the one who proclaims good news, who publishes peace? No, how beautiful are the feet. And in fact, when we get to Ephesians 6 and we talk about the armor of God, do you notice what it is we put on our feet? Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Jesus doesn't need eloquent mouths. Jesus doesn't need our rhetorical skill. Jesus needs our feet to get out there, to travel and to throw the seed far and wide. Brethren, there are over two million people, two million souls in the Pittsburgh metropolitan area. How many of those hearts do you think are good and honest hearts? How many people do you think, if they come in contact with the gospel and its purity, will respond to it? There's only one way to find out, and that's to sow the seed. That's to get out there and reach as many people as possible. That's the picture that we have. When we think about shining our lights, we shine our lights more as a lighthouse than as a spotlight. 
Remember what we read there in Matthew chapter 5, the picture of a city set on a hill, of a lamp being lifted up on a lampstand. The picture that we have here is not us taking the spotlight and chasing every person down in the dark alley streets to, to pin them down. The picture that we have is of the light being lifted up to where it can be seen far and wide. You think about the illustration of a lighthouse. Does the lighthouse need to know where the lost fishermen are? No. It doesn't need to chase them down and find them. It just needs to lift up the light so high and so bright and so far that wherever they are, they can find the light. That's what we need to be. We need to be shining the light as bright and as far as we can. And those who are seeking will find it. We need to have faith that God will reach the good and honest heart. God will reach those who are seeking. We just need to be faithful, obedient, humble, submissive conduits for the light of the gospel to shine through us. And so that's our goal. As we, as a congregation, try to think more intentionally about being more evangelistic, we want to make sure that we're sowing the seed as far and wide as possible. Uh, and so what we've done is we've put up these evangelism trackers to keep us accountable, not, not to show anybody else, uh, but to keep us accountable with how much we are sowing the seed. Uh, we have trackers for our door hangers, for our letter evangelism, for personal invitations. And what, what we're trying to do with this uh, is to, to keep track uh, so that we can set goals, so that we can be driven and reminded week by week to be sowing the seed, to be casting the net. Uh, and so as we passed out door hangers on Saturday, uh, we counted up how many we uh, did, I think 398, and we crossed off boxes to show that that's how many we, we had done. As you do letter evangelism, the supplies are in the middle classroom there on the shelf. Uh, you can get a, a list of addresses, a bunch of envelopes and stamps. You fold those letters, put them in, uh, address them, stamp them, and send them out. Uh, keep track of how many you do. Cross that out up there so that we can continue to keep this before us. Uh, and whether it be using our business cards or just by personal conversation, um, be thinking about talking to waiters and waitresses at your restaurant, coworkers, friends, neighbors, family members. Uh, consider day by day the people that you come in contact with that you can be inviting to study the Bible with us, whether that be uh, through group Bible studies that we have, personal Bible studies with you uh, or with Carl or I, uh, whether it be in our uh, assembly. Uh, and keep track of that. Uh, if every member of this congregation sowed one seed a day, uh, in a month we would sow a thousand seeds. And by the end of this year, we would sow 5,000 seeds. I think that's a pretty modest goal. Um, in fact, we already have 348 up there, so we got a pretty good start. Uh, but I, I challenge you to think about that. Um, you as an individual, make it your goal 
Uh, and you can set your own goal if you want to go higher than this, but make your goal to sow in one way or another 30 seeds this month. Um, if, if you're you know, able to get out and uh, walk up to doors and, and put door hangers up there, great. We're going to be doing that next Sunday again at 2 p.m. after people have had a, a chance to go and get something to eat. Um, come and do that. If that's not something that you're physically capable of doing, do the letter evangelism. Um, and by all means, be considering personal uh, relationships that you have that you can invite people um, to, to come, to be exposed to the gospel, to come to know Jesus and his transforming power. What about you today? Uh, what do you see as you look into the mirror of God's word? Maybe you recognize that, that you haven't been a very effective conduit for the gospel. Maybe that's by negligence, by a lack of, of passion and diligence in that. Uh, let's work on that. Maybe that's by hypocrisy and insincerity. Uh, and you recognize that your faith and your life is not what it needs to be. If you need to repent today, um, by God's power, by the power of Jesus, your heart and your life can be transformed. Whatever sin is enslaving you, those chains can be broken. If you're willing to fully surrender it before the Lord, let the light of the gospel shine in you and through you and do its work. If we can help you in that in any way, if you need to confess before these brethren so that we can be praying and supporting you all together, if you need to seek out somebody individually uh, to be uh, a brother or sister that can support you through what it is you're facing, won't you do that? Whatever changes you need to make, won't you make those changes now? If you have never responded to the gospel, if you've never uh, allowed its light uh, to come into your heart uh, and make that change, won't you be willing to surrender your life to Jesus today? Uh, you can bury the old man of sin in the waters of baptism. By his grace and the power of the resurrection, you can be raised to walk in newness of life. If we can help you in any way, won't you make it known at this time as we stand and sing together?